Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. It's amazing, amazing how step by step, um, Little slices of fate lead you to where you end up. This is Property Investory, where we talk to successful property investors to find out more about their stories, mindset, and strategies. I'm Tyrone Shump, and in this episode, we're speaking with property investor, entrepreneur, and ex journalist Terry Ryder. Originally from New Zealand, Ryder is now living in Brisbane as the founder and director of Hotspotting. Keep listening to hear about his business, his backstory and the beginning of his property journey. Ryder is an entrepreneur who turned his knowledge into a business and website. I'm the managing director and founder of hotspotting.com.au, which is a website which was set up in uh, 2006 to essentially to advise uh, property buyers the best places to buy uh, around Australia, taking a a medium to long-term view, um, looking for the characteristics of the future hotspots and alerting people to them before they become hotspots because uh, I think that's that's the essential thing that... um, property investors are looking for. They want to know about the places that are going to rise before they rise. A normal day for a writer involves a lot of researching of information to search out those hot spots. A large part of uh, the day for myself and my, my team is involved in gathering information. We're uh, scanning all kinds of uh, sources via the internet and, and in other ways, trying to pull in as much information as we can about uh, what's going on in economies and property markets around Australia. We fundamentally fundamentally believe that uh, real estate markets arise out of the local economy, not so much about national uh, economic factors like interest rates or you know, the Banking Royal Commission. Um, it's essentially about what's happening in local economies. So we're looking for uh, growth drivers, we're looking for events that alert us to potential future hotspots. So we're searching through newspapers around the country, uh, Google alerts, all sorts of sources, trying to uh, pick up on um, hints and indicators of areas that um, are going to go ahead or are going ahead as um, potential hotspots. So that's a large part of what we do. Uh, We're putting together reports uh, for both uh, mum and dad investors, but also we have B2B services, so uh, businesses that are involved in the real estate space, often looking for uh, custom-built reports on the areas that they're interested in. Um, So the team's also putting together those those kinds of reports. I also spend a lot of time talking to media because media's always hungry for information about what's going on in markets around Australia. So I spend quite a bit of time talking to television, radio and uh, newspaper journalists. Ryder discusses the sheer amount of information that he needs to sift through and make sense for his clients. I mean, there's too too much information out there and that's the problem that real estate consumers have. That's why we have a business. That's why we provide the service we do, essentially. Um, there's, there's, there's too much stuff out there for people to to 
gather, even if they knew where to go to find it, um, gathering it all together takes a lot of time and then making sense of it. That's the hard part. Um, and so we just have a system where um, various members of the team have certain areas that they're uh, searching for information and that's all fed through to me and um, every day I'm um, sending that information off in various directions electronically. We, we file with an electronic filing system um, under various category headings. Um, hundreds of different locations around Australia have their their electronic file and um, while I'm doing that process it's alerting me to um, indicators of areas we maybe need to delve a little bit deeper into. Um, and a new piece of infrastructure announced, for example, um, some um, something that's come through the information channels we tap into telling us that uh, a market may be potentially rising. So we'll, we'll look a, bit, a little bit deeper into that, um, maybe talk to some people, local um, real estate professionals on the ground, uh, valuers and buyers agents, etc., and um, and that all feeds into the process whereby we create reports. Essentially, that's what we're doing. We're creating reports on locations. Um, Mum and dad investors um, have a need for that, um, and businesses that are in the real estate space also do. Um, once a, m- a month, I do a, a live Facebook Q&A where I invite people to throw their questions at me via Facebook, and I answer the questions live via that medium, and... 90 or 95% of the questions I get are about location. That's essentially what people are interested in. They want to know, what do you think of this suburb? What do you think of this town? Um, I've, I've got a property here. Should I keep it? Should I sell it? Uh, that kind of thing. So it's, it's really um, people are very location-driven when it comes to real estate investment. Originally from New Zealand, Ryder initially came to Australia to play rugby. Born and bred in a very small town in New Zealand, in the South Island. Um, came to Australia um, quite a long time ago, in the uh, 1978, in fact, um, on a working holiday, expecting to, to be here for maybe a year. I actually came to Australia to play uh, for a rugby union club um, who uh, were short of players and thought, hey, New Zealanders have a pretty good rugby player. So um, I, was at the t- I started out as a a newspaper journalist and I was working in a newspaper in Wellington, the capital of New Zealand, uh, and wrote an article about a guy from a rugby club in Ipswich um, in the Brisbane metropolitan area recruiting rugby players. And anyway, I decided to become part of that as a working holiday adventure. But having arrived in Australia, um, one thing led to another and I never left. So, um, <laughs> And I was a... I was a general um, news reporter at the Courier-Mail in Brisbane in the early 80s when the editor called me in one day and told me that he's decided to make me property editor. And I protested uh, because I didn't know anything about real estate. And he said, uh, you'll find out. It's about houses and stuff. Which says something about the way newspapers were run then and still are, I'm afraid. Um, but anyway, I, I was appointed property editor and decided, well, if I've got to do it, I'm going to do it well and decided to um, to do a lot of research. Um, not, there wasn't much research available in those days, so I created my own research exercise and um, decided to make it, it uh, a specialty. And it just evolved from there, from the Courier-Mail to the Australian Financial Review, and then uh, became a, a freelance consultant. And other things have evolved from that. So I became a property 
expert quite by accident, um, just a bit of a twist of fate that, that comes along in people's lives. You know, they say life's what happened while you're busy making other plans. I never never planned to be a, a real estate specialist, but um, that uh, meeting in the office of the editor of the Courier Mail way back about 1982 was kind of fateful in those those terms that sort of dictated the future. Ryder has had many careers before he finally settled on real estate. My first job was in a bank and I very quickly realised that wasn't for me, um, but accidentally it made me realise that um, I wanted to do something in the writing space um, because I, I, I failed to show up for a staff meeting at the bank one day and they appointed me branch correspondent to the National Magazine. So I decided if I was going to write reports for this magazine, I was going to have some fun with it. So I satirised everything happening in the bank and uh, I noticed that um, uh, people who worked in the bank absolutely loved it and I really enjoyed the fact that they enjoyed what I wrote. So I decided I wanted to become a writer. So I went to journalism school and then started to work in newspapers and that uh, led me to working um, in the sports department of the uh, major newspaper in Wellington and my encounter with the the man from the rugby club in um, in Ipswich on the, the fringe of Brisbane and that um, led on to everything else. So it's amazing amazing how step by step um, little slices of fate lead, lead you to where you end up. Being well practiced in writing as a former journalist came in handy down the track for a writer. Well I've published four books. Um, I went through a phase of writing and publishing books. Uh, four were published, um, but the last one was uh, 10 or 12 years ago. The novelty wore off, I guess. So much work goes into them. Uh, I am planning to, to return to publishing books on real estate topics and other things. Um, the ones I have published were very much orientated towards uh, the consumer protection side of real estate, alerting to pe- people to the, the perils and pitfalls and... Um, some of the, the shonkier elements of real estate they needed to be aware of. Um, Buyer Beware was one title. I also wrote a book called Real Estate Without Agents, um, uh, which was designed to show people that they could actually sell property themselves without needing to, to pay real estate agent commission. So I've published four books of that nature um, and plan to go back um, very soon. Um, part of this year's plan is actually to uh, get another book written on real estate topics. So um, it's something I love doing. It's just uh, very time-consuming. And uh, running a business um, and writing books aren't necessarily compatible time-wise. Despite being very different careers, the move from journalism to real estate happened organically for Ryder. Well, the biggest thing is, is in the area of research. When I was probably editor of the Courier-Mail in the early 80s and then at the Financial Review in the mid-80s, there was really no source you could go to for real estate information. There were, there were no um, domains or core logics. Um, realestate.com.au didn't exist. Um, and so I did, decided that I was going to do my own research. So I created a, a research exercise myself. I used to work very long hours because I just became fascinated by it. I didn't just want to um, recycle press releases or just report what people were saying in the industry. I wanted to know what was going on. Um, so I started um, researching uh, what was selling, how much it was selling for um, in, in the commercial space as well as residential, um, who owned the big buildings, um, et cetera, et cetera. And um, 
that became the basis of everything I did and also became the basis of my consultancy when I evolved out of um, newspapers into becoming um, a consultant to major uh, property firms and I used to write research-based reports for them. Um, no one else was doing that at the time. So the big difference now is that um, everything's changed in that regard. There are so many research sources. Obviously, the evolution of the internet and computer computer technology has, has revolu- revolutionised that. And so now we've got to the point where there's, as I said earlier, there's too much information out there and it becomes mind-boggling for people, particularly as... Um, to a certain degree, all the information about residential property is dodgy data or rubbery figures to a certain degree. So you can, we pull in price data from, say, six different sources, and they've all got six different numbers for the same market. Some claim the um, you know, a particular market is rising, and other sources can have figures that indicate it's falling. And so how do people make sense of that? Um, and that's the problem uh, that consumers have. There's all this conflicting data swimming around in media and, and I think people are, are confused and a little bit daunted by it all. So, um, yeah, so that, that, that's, that's one of the reasons we, we, have, um, we have a business and people, people need services like ours to try and make sense of it. Coming up after the break... We'll learn about Ryder's role as a journalist and researcher. And it was like um, just setting up an exercise and then talking to people in the industry, each of whom knew something. His truths about starting out as an investor. No one's had a, a clean sailing career as a property investor and the sort of, um, with the wisdom of hindsight, you wish you'd done things differently. The story behind his first purchase. I bought my first property because I uh, was renting and got sick of having to move all the time. All that and much more coming up next. I'm Tyrone Shum and you're listening to Property Investory. Sourcing the kind of information Ryder was looking for was very different back in the 80s. It was like um, just setting up an exercise and then talking to people in the industry each of whom knew something, and if you talk to enough people, you, you find out uh, everything you need to know. I mean, I remember there was one phase in Brisbane where um, all the best corner uh, sites in the centre of Brisbane were occupied by traditional old pubs, and um, developers were buying them because they, they were prime real estate to build um, sort of office buildings primarily. So I created an exercise finding out uh, where all the, the pubs were located in central Brisbane, who owned them, how you know what size uh, lot size they were, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And that became a, a valuable piece of information for the industry because a lot of people were looking for that kind of property to to buy to redevelop. Um, but it was just a lot of uh, foot slogging and phone calling in those days. Mm, and, and you're almost like a private detective, except not searching for the person you're searching for property. Yeah, and um, it, was, it was actually um, being a, a newspaper journalist in those times, and um, it's, certainly the reporting of real estate was very different then to what it is now. Today, it's pretty much an exercise of recycling press releases, which to me isn't journalism at all. Um, publishing a press release was a sacking offence when I was working as a property editor in the 80s. Uh, so you, you're, you're generating your own articles by going out and talking to people in the industry and finding out what's going on. 
and the idea was to be the first to know of the major deals that were coming up, and you could do that if you talked to enough people. So it was a very good way to learn about research. Research was, was about um, you know foot slogging and talking to as many people as you could to find out what was going on. To a certain degree, that's still the case. Ryder had a week between columns to make sure he had sourced all his information and written his article. The resources in newspapers were a lot more than they are now. So you did have, um, to a certain extent, the resources to do things well. Um, but my section at the Kurima was a weekly section published on a Friday. So you had the week to get your stories together. If you had something that was really hot, it would go in the general news on the day. But generally speaking, we were working week to week. We were working Monday to Thursday getting together articles and features to be published on Friday. So it was not quite the the, um, the daily deadline pressure that um, people working in other sections of the paper had. So uh, that that was a little bit easier. Um, but, um, yeah, a lot of work. We worked long hours um, to, to try and do it well because um, I've, I've always had this obsession with whatever I'm doing. I'm going to do it as well as I can. So I've always been a bit of a workaholic. Um, in in the area that I'm interested in working in, um, which um, isn't a bad quality to have as long as you can keep it under control. Ryder explains how he first got into property investing after being thrown into the real estate sphere by his employer. I was actually quite a late starter. Um, I Initially, I, I was interested in the subject because I, I was appointed to do it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to do it as well as I can. But it, I wasn't that interested in wealth accumulation. So I, um, I was slow to get interested in investing personally, but eventually I did. And um, early on, um, you know, I think anyone you talk to, I'm sure you've had this experience, anyone you've interviewed who's had a long uh, history with real estate investment will tell you of all the mistakes they made. Early on, I think everybody um, has had that experience. Uh, no one's had a, a clean sailing career as a property investor and the sort of, um, with the wisdom of hindsight, you wish you'd done things differently. Early on, I was buying and selling. Um, now, with, with hindsight, I wouldn't have done that. I would have accumulated and just kept in what I initially had, had owned it and just added to a portfolio but I didn't understand in the early days the importance of doing that so I was buying something and after it had grown and goes selling it and buying something else um, and did quite well from that but I would have done a lot better I think long term if I'd um, kept everything um, that was good and uh, just accumulated a growing portfolio. Um, but um, Early on, I had a philosophy that whatever I bought, it was going to have a view. I decided that um, property with a view had a selling feature, and that seemed to work pretty well for me. Um, but along the way, I just noticed that, that things, even ugly real estate, this is one of the things I, I still believe to be true, is that ugly real estate grows in value often as well as, as pretty real estate. Um, it's, it's all about affordability for a lot of people and, and what it's close to. And it's more important than the actual, the look and feel of the property itself. Um, Well-located property close to a train station, for example, that's affordable, close to shopping, close to schools, all those basic uh, things that I started to pick up on early in my property investing career and still, I believe, remain 
through. Um, I've added that extra element through the hot spotting process where firstly we're looking at really great locations <clears throat> that have an underlying economy that's going to support superior growth, but within that then looking for a property that's um, got good proximity to public transport, uh, shopping and schools as the, as the fundamentals to look for. Ryder describes the common mistakes made by first-time investors who don't follow these fundamentals. It's really interesting that um, in the last week we've seen re- uh, published some research out of realestate.com.au and they were looking at where people were showing the most property searches. They were interested in where Sydney people were looking outside of New South Wales and where Melbourne people were looking outside of Victoria and what it showed was that they are looking for shiny objects. Um, the vast majority of searches from people in Melbourne and Sydney outside of their own areas were uh, focused on the Gold Coast, for example. The Gold Coast has, does not have a great track record uh, for capital growth, particularly the high-rise market. It's a very poor record. But people um, are lured by those sexy locations. They've got a bit of you know, sizzle. Um, that appear like great places to, to own real estate, but you know they're, they're overlooking the fundamentals. And um, I often contrast the the capital growth record of, say, a surface barrier apartment with a, a three-bedroom house in Dubbo in regional New South Wales. Well, Dubbo's by far the superior investment over time, but a lot of people don't appreciate that. So they're, um, they're not um, understanding the fundamentals of what makes a good um, property purchase. It's been 30 years since Ryder bought his first property and claims in hindsight he should have held onto it longer. I bought my first property because I uh, was renting and got sick of having to move all the time for reasons outside of my control. There was one year in which I had to relocate uh, six or seven times because um, you know, the landlord decided to sell or I'd offended uh, the landlord in some way and he kicked me out and I said, so I'm sick of this, I'm going to buy my own place. Um, and it cost $25,000 and it was in a, a very modest suburb uh, in Ipswich in the far southwest of the Brisbane metropolitan area. Um, and at that point I was actually working at the Curry Mile, so it was a very long commute. So um, it's interesting that um, um, there's a lot of media today about... Um, First-time buyers can't afford to buy and they've got to go to the far outreaches. Well, it was the same situation way back then, uh, more than 30 years ago when I bought my first place. That was the best I could afford. Um, I couldn't afford to buy closer in. And um, so, you know, to get on the um, the property ownership ladder, you've firstly got to be prepared to make sacrifices and compromises. Um, no one gets their, their dream home and their dream location as a first purchase, even back then when things were cheaper. But... You know, incomes were lower as well, so it's all relative. So that cost $25,000, and whenever I drive past it these days, I look at it and think, my God, I can't believe I live there. It's the ugliest piece of real estate <laughs> I've ever seen. <laughs> but it, it grew in value. Uh, in a couple of years, it, it, it grew from twenty five to 40000 and I sold it, and my second purchase was a lot closer to the centre of Brisbane. And um, so I kept doing that until maybe on... Uh, my fourth purchase, I was closer to what I regarded as the dream home. And as I say, with, with hindsight, I would have kept those properties um, and um, you know just made them part of a rental portfolio, but um, I didn't understand the wisdom of that back then. Ryder explains that buying property wasn't so simple in the 80s. In some respects, it was harder back then because the, um, the only 
there weren't the the borrowing options that exist now. You, the only place you could get a loan was the the people you'd banked with for several years and built up a record with. Um, and there were no government grants or stamp duty concessions then. So um, in yeah. many respects, it was harder and, to, to and, get. And I was going to say, interest rates were very high as well too in comparison to today. I mean, like I remember well, my parents were telling me that they had like 18, 20% interest rates. Well, in, in the, the mid to late 80s, interest rates were above 10% and um, Paul Keating kept raising them to try and dampen down the boom, but the boom kept raging and mortgage rates did get up to 17, 18% before the boom stopped in the late 80s and I experienced that. So, yeah, in all those respects, it was harder back then. So, you know, all relative. Um, I know prices, you know, in the biggest cities are, are pretty high, but um, if people are willing to make sacrifices and compromises and that's the key thing they can get their foot on the property ladder uh, increasingly we're seeing people now going down the rent vesting path which is is probably a good compromise uh, if people decide well we do want to live in certain areas of sydney or melbourne we can't afford to buy there but we we um want to live there so we can buy our first property as an investment property and maybe a, a good regional center that's affordable and i think that's uh, that's a great compromise to make Join us on a future episode of Property Invest Story where we continue the conversation with Terry Ryder and learn about the aha moment that changed the game for him. The aha moment was realizing that it's about um, accumulation of good assets. How he runs his business. So um, it starts with an idea and then it becomes a proposal and then there's some research and there'll be some debate um, and eventually it will happen but it's, a, it's quite a long drawn out process so um, to a certain extent as well as the words of wisdom he'd like to give to his younger self. I would have said to him to get, get busier with investment um, and to understand the importance of accumulation rather than, than trading. And that's next time on a future episode of Property Investory. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.